Job feels abandoned. Back to the good old days, he thinks, because God has not helped him, so he says. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are looking at the book of Job. The oldest book of the Bible, or one of the oldest books in the Bible, and it is fascinating. We're going to study that in about five minutes' time, so stay there. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? Well, in today's assigned reading, Job talks about how he once had working dogs. So we are going to be talking about that today. Ryan? Well, is the Bible just a book of fairy tales and fantasies? After all, the Bible in books like Job mentions unicorns. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Very good. They're coming up in about 20 minutes time. It is good. Really? Dogs? Yes. Fascinating. Okay. Well, anyway, Janice? Yes. Today, through the Lord's mercies. All right. So take your Bible guide. Let's open up and let's look at what God is saying to us from the most important book of all. That is the Bible. Let's study. Job 29, 1 through 20. Job further continued his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were around me, when my steps were bathed with cream and the rock poured out rivers of oil for me, when I went out to the gate by the city, when I took my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid, and the aged arose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and put their hand on their mouth. The voice of nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, then it blessed me, and when the eye saw, then it approved me. Because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. The blessing of a perishing man came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind, and I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. Then I said, I shall die in my nest and multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters, and the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. Job chapter 29, verses 1 through 20. You know, Job is an amazing book, and as we come upon the end of it, it becomes fascinating to understand what God is doing. You see, it's difficult to lose all of your wealth. It's difficult to lose all of your belongings. It's difficult to lose your reputation. And Job was known as a great man of God. He helped deliver the poor, the orphans, and the widows from trouble, verses 12 and 13. But now he needed to be delivered by God. 
while Job was less concerned with preserving his reputation among men, and he was more concerned with his status with God, his ability to see God. His reputation as a godly man was challenged by all who looked upon him, and his friends felt that they needed to approve of his life before God. But remember that God was testing Job. It was a test. There is an end to his cup of suffering. His suffering was no indication of godliness, but it was a measure of everyone else's lack of it. As we will soon read, Job's poor reputation among men was short-lived. Both his reputation and his wealth were restored to him to prove his godliness to the weak in faith, chapter 42, verses 10 through 17. While his friend's reputation and standing with God was truly lacking. And that, of course, is in verses 7 and 9 of chapter 42. Now, we would do well not to judge others by the difficulties brought upon them in their life. We don't judge people by what they did simply from who they are. We judge them who they are, and we understand that God is helping them, and we need to get with his program, not our program. Now, take your Bible guide and turn today to this particular passage because this is important. Now, let me ask you, do you have a Bible guide? Because if you don't, we'll send you one. Write to us, you can write, or you can call us and we'll send you one, or you can get one yourself if you go to Bible Discovery TV, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the page and it'll take you to a place where you can download it exactly how we printed it. And by the way, at BibleDiscoveryTV.com, you can watch the programs. Many of you are watching this program there now, but you can also see a 24-7 live stream. We put all our programs on that stream and you can see what we're doing. And it's very, very good to have that. But let's pray and let's ask the Lord to show us the deliverance of Job. Father, I pray today as we embark on this journey that you would teach us your way and show us your path. As we look at what you've told us from your word, help us not to apply our thoughts onto it, but to let you teach us what's right and what's wrong. Thank you, Father. Help us to pay attention to how we read In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen and amen. Now, let's look at the scripture. This is God talking to us in various forms. And let's look at Job chapter 29. It says, Job further continued his discourse, the discourse of Job. And he said, oh, that I were as in months past, back in the day, as in the days when God watched over me when his lamp shone on my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were around me, when my steps were bathed with cream, and the rock poured out rivers of oil for me. This is amazing. Look at this. Job feels that God has abandoned him when he reflects on his better days. That's why the grass is never greener. We should not judge our condition in life by how we feel about, by how we feel, but by who God is. We should not judge our life on how we feel because I can eat a pizza and I often say that and I can feel lousy even though it's good going down. 
But remember that we don't judge our life by how we feel in the moment. We judge our life by who God is, and he has defined who we are. We don't look at our definitions from ourselves. but We look at our definitions by understanding what God has called us to. That's very important. We need to recognize that we are called to a task of the Lord Jesus Christ telling his testimony to our friends and explaining that to them. That's what we need to remember. And Job was lost in the good old days of the past because he was suffering in the present. Interesting, isn't it? All right, let's move on because it's interesting. Job 29, 7 to 17. When I went out to the gate by the city and when I took my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid and the age arose and stood. The princes refrained from talking but and put their hand on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. And when the ear heard, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw, then it approved me because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. The blessing of perishing man came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and clothed righteousness clothed me. My justice was like a robe and the turban. I was it, I was eyes to the blind and I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor and I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. Now, interesting enough about this. Job feels that his God-given wisdom and reputation were beneficial for everyone. Now, keep that in mind because when God gives us a position of authority, We must use it to do God's work. Beloved, keep in mind that the Lord was testing Job. The test is not over. The Lord was testing Job. And so we go through life. It's very interesting because we worship youth today, but we go through life. And as we become older and experienced living for the Lord in this life, we know more. And God teaches us and helps us. 18 to 20. Then I said, I shall die in my nest and multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters and the dew lies all night on my branches. My glory is fresh within me and my bow bow is renewed in my hand. This is absolutely stunning. Now look at this. Job's good life and reputation were blessings from God. So he was confused when God took them away. God allowed the enemy to take them. Let's not put stock or security in our earthly reputation for that reputation belongs to the Lord. I like to say it this way. We say, we come to God and we say, Lord, we give you everything. Really? Do we? Because that means our reputation, our everything that we have, everything that we're going to achieve, our future, our past, our present. If we give you everything, then we are totally subjected to you and you have promised to keep us in your calling safe, even in the world in which we live right now. We can be safe, understanding the calling of God, living in that calling, living in that, Lord, I'm going to live my life and tell people about who you are, how they can find you, how they can pray and see you and come into your kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, that's very important, beloved. So let's keep that in mind. And Father, help us today 
to understand that your calling is so important on each and every one of us. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. So in Job chapter 30, the very first verse, we see Job talking about uh, how he had sheepdogs and he actually uses them in a little bit of an insult, uh, which is interesting in and of itself. But today I want to talk about the domestication of the dog, when that dates to, how it was used in different parts of the world, and specifically focusing in here on the ancient Near East and the history of the dog in ancient Israel. Take a look. In the ancient world, dogs were both a helpful commodity and a symbol of impurity and shame. Dogs are believed to be one of the very first domesticated animals, finding use in guarding, shepherding, and even warfare. While their value was indisputable, the literary and physical evidence shows they were seen as both positive and negative additions to society. In the Bible, there are numerous mentions of dogs, once in a helpful capacity, but most often as a negative symbol. In the time period of the kings, an effective insult was to call someone a dog, a dead dog, or a dog's head, and a shameful curse was to have your body eaten by dogs after death. Though dogs were helpful in certain aspects of society, they were allowed to roam free around cities and often kept the streets clear of garbage and other dead rodents or animals by eating their carcasses. It's these and other gross behaviors like ingesting their own vomit and fecal matter that go a long way in explaining man's willingness to keep dogs close while at the same time recognizing their dirty nature as animals. Dogs existed on the outskirts of society, almost human, connecting with humans, showing loyalty, doing jobs, but not giving up their animalistic ways that identified them as essentially inhuman. They were of society, but not a part of it. This also may explain why twice in the Bible, dogs are paired with prostitutes. Perhaps their lives were seen as similar. They played a role in society, but inevitably were cast to the edges of it, used, but not fully accepted, unclean and cursed. The prophets of the Bible also spoke about dogs. Isaiah compares Israel's watchmen and shepherds to their canine counterparts. Isaiah also refers to pagan practice of sacrificing dogs. Ancient Near Eastern dog sacrifices and cults incorporating dogs are now widely known. Thousands of dog burials have been found. Dogs were often associated with healing cults and were used as purification sacrifices and were worshipped alongside the gods of the underworld and healing. Naturally being associated with death and impurity, they became symbols of the underworld and bodies capable of transferring human impurity to. So you can see there's a mixed bag when it comes with the domestication of the ancient dog in Israel. We've got, you know, the Bible is a book of theology. It's about how we understand God's relationship to humanity and vice versa. So 
obviously the there is a heavier leaning on the the symbolic usage of dogs which are not human uh so that it has more of a negative connotation using the the wild dogs using you know dogs in their um context with idolatry uh but we do know that there also was a positive view of dogs as they were useful to humans as well so uh, a bit of a mixed bag but an interesting one to take a look at it is interesting when you start looking at the other creatures and yeah. of course we we have uh, today many people have pets and some people don't but that's the idea is that god is showing us who he is and we need to relate to him and so he uses sometimes pets to help us understand that and that's fascinating very interesting ryan all right, well, as we continue with our study in Job, there is something that I want to deal with because as many Bible skeptics have pointed out, there are certain Old Testament passages, one of which is in Job 39, that mention unicorns. Now, this critics say is proof positive that the Bible is just a book of fables and fairy tales. But what did God really say? Well, let's find out. Many believe that the claimed word of God, the Bible, is just a book of fairy tales and legends and has no real application or authority for our lives. For example, critics point out nine different passages in the Old Testament which seemingly refer to the mythological unicorn. Indeed, the unicorn is mentioned in the original 1611 King James Version of the Bible, as well as some other versions in other languages. However, there is still much disagreement among Bible scholars today over the meaning of the original Hebrew word. In the original language, the word is re'em. In modern Hebrew, this word means wild ox, and many scholars believe that this is the correct translation. One commentator even notes that when observed closely, the original Hebrew of Deuteronomy 33.17 does not actually allow for re'em to be translated as unicorn. Yet some other scholars have also provided compelling evidence that this ancient word is conveying a single-horned creature, and therefore should be translated as unicorn. Still, even if this is the correct translation, there is no need for Bible students to be troubled. Indeed, Dr. Elizabeth Mitchell observes how quick we are to forget that a single horn feature is not uncommon on God's menu for animal design. Consider the rhinoceros and the narwhal. Furthermore, this creature mentioned in the Bible is clearly not the same as the fanciful one-horned horse-like animal found in ancient Chinese creation mythology, which only gentle maidens can tame. Indeed, the Bible describes an animal that is very strong, that is useless for agricultural work, and unwilling to work for men. An animal that skips like a calf and bleeds when it dies. Additionally, the fact that the unicorn is listed alongside other real animals in the Bible, such as lambs, goats, and donkeys, is evidence that it is referring to a real creature. Those who believe that the Bible is truly describing a one-horned animal have offered a couple of suggestions as to the identification of the creature. One of which is the Elasmotherium, which is an extinct giant rhinoceros. Whatever the case, there is no mistake in the Bible. This creature, whatever it was, was very real, just as is the rest of the Bible's account. So as you can see, whatever this animal was, it was definitely a very real creature. And the mythical horse-like unicorn isn't to be found anywhere in scripture. Despite what the critics say, the Bible isn't a book of fairy tales and fantasies, but a true account of God's work of reconciling human beings back to himself. One of the things to remember is that the Bible is translated into English, and it started back in the 1500s, even before then. And the language changes, you know, the English language shifts around and changes. It's a promiscuous language. And so we have to understand that. And that's fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. And we have to, when, we, when we study the Bible, 
uh, and we, we learn it, the real Bible, we go back to the Hebrew and the Old Testament and yeah. sometimes the Babylonian languages uh, because the, you know, Ezra and so on, they were in Babylon. But then we go to the Greek language and uh, that was fascinating. So that's really, really interesting. People yeah. are so, you know, bent on, well, no, the Bible's wrong because it says that. But wait a minute, what yeah. does it really say? Yeah, and I mean, scholars have, there's there's discussions over this, what the word actually means. And I dealt with this in this segment where, you know, some scholars think it just means wild ox. That's possible. But it's also possible that it just, the Bible's talking about a one-horned creature. Um, and that's common in design. I mean, we see the narwhal as one example, right? So, um, but this horse, this, this you know, horse-like creature is not what the Bible is describing. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the horse-like creature or the unicorn is a fabricated creature in the human mind. Yeah. And so that's really interesting. And the Bible is not fabricated in the human mind. It's a translation. God speaks through his Holy Spirit and takes the men and they write it down. So it's fascinating. Very good study, right? Janice. Yes. Well, we're taking a look today at Job chapter 29. And we see here, as we read through this book of Job, um, lots of ups and downs, don't we? But here we see Job looking back at better times in his life and wondering in these times, because it feels to Job like God has left him. And, you know, I think that I'm speaking for all of us, as I say, I'm sure that each of us have gone through those times in our life, seasons in our life where it feels like God has maybe forgotten about us or we struggle with why we're going through what we're going through. And yet we see Job doing this today. He's looking back at better days. But we need, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to understand that we have a hope and a future and that not all of our circumstances the way they are today means what they're going to be in the future. And sometimes it's here on earth and sometimes it's with the Lord in eternity. And one of my favorite passages ever, and I, I quote it every morning, and I quote it every night in my prayer, and it's, and it's from Lamentations, and I've used it here on the program over and over again. But it reminds us of the Lord's mercies that are new every morning. And, and it gives a few lessons in here. So I just want to share it again for those of you that maybe are not familiar with that, and maybe that you feel that you are in a tough spot right now, that you're in a season where you just don't even know what to pray anymore. You don't even know if it's worth praying anymore because you don't know if God is listening. Well, first of all, God is listening. And you may be in that season and you may look back at other times, but don't dwell there. Don't dwell on those times. Come to God, come to him today and look forward to the future, to the season that he will bring you into. Verse 22 of Lamentations chapter 3 says this, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah spoke these words and wrote these words in a great deal of turmoil, in a great deal of pain and agony. And then he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Even in the times where we feel hopeless, focus your attention on the hope that we do have in God. 
Verse 25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. I have to be honest, I'm not a good waiter. I don't wait well. And in these times, I have to really ask God to teach me and help me to wait and to wait patiently. Let me read that again. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. In our times of trouble, in our daily life, the best thing that we can do is always seek the Lord. Seek what he wants for our day. Seek what he wants for our life. And then we can wait on him and he can teach us. Verse 26, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to read it in its entirety now from beginning to end without interrupting. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You and me together as believers in Jesus Christ, let's learn to lean and depend upon the hope that we have for every new day, for every new mercy that God gives us. You may be in a season where you feel alone, where it feels dark, where there's a lot of trouble, but you have a God that you can lean upon and that you can call on him and hope in him. He is with you. He is for you as you as you read his word, as you pour that into your life, as you pray to him, know that he hears you, know that he is walking with you and he is faithful. Even Jeremiah in his darkest days, he learned to lean and trust on the Lord. Get into a fellowship, get into a group of believers that can join with you in prayer. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are listening who are watching today, Father, that they would feel your presence in their lives, that you would help them, that as they come to you, Father, that they would see answers, that they would know that you are a God of compassion, that we will not be consumed, that you will overcome, that you have overcome, that you are our hope. And when we look back, we look back and see your faithfulness in our life, that as we move forward, we know we are assured that you're there. You are our hope. You are our portion, God. And we thank you for your faithfulness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember that you can get us on the telephone, on your phone, your iPhone, or your Android app, whatever you want on the phone. Very, very important. Just look for Bible Discovery TV and you'll find it. Now let's pray today. Father, I pray today, help me to live your will. Help me to fulfill 
your commands, not my life's commands, but your commands. Help me, Lord, as I give my life to you on this day.